You are listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. We are in a series studying Matthew 13, entitled Parables of the Kingdom. I invite you to grab a copy of God's Word, turn to Matthew chapter 13, and listen as we discover the hidden truths God wants us to know through these parables. Good to see you. Uh, you need a Bible. Yeah, you need to open it to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. Um, if you're new here, my name is Jeff. I have the just honor to preach God's word here and to study the Bible uh, with you. And that's what we're going to do here in the next few minutes. Matthew is, like I said, the first book in the New Testament, and uh, we're going to be looking actually over the next number of weeks at this passage in Matthew 13, where the kingdom of heaven is described, and I'll get into what that means in the next uh, minute or two. Uh, I had a rich privilege in my life to be able to travel quite a bit, um, especially when I was in uh, college or just after college. I was in Europe for the first time. It was actually kind of the, big fir- the first big trip I had ever taken in my life. I remember flying Lufthansa all the way over to, to Europe. I remember people laughing on the plane because the pilot's name was Mr. Sunshine and everybody thought that, all the German people thought that was hysterical. Uh, we got there and um, I was traveling with, with several friends actually for the first few weeks before I went to uh, a Bible college there. And um, if you've ever traveled when you're in in college, one of the things you know is that you don't have a whole lot of money, and so you look for everywhere you can cut corners. One of the places that we decided to cut corners uh, frequently, actually, was sleeping overnight at certain locations. We sometimes would try to figure out how it is that we could arrive at a train station late at night so we could try to sleep at, at that <laughs> train station, which was fine in several uh, countries. I remember sleeping, actually, in an Austrian train station at one point, and uh, I was there with, it was me and another guy and then two, two girls who were with us, and I remember waking up in the morning on the floor of this Austrian train station, and me and my friend John were, you know, separated from everyone else, but like seven or eight other guys had surrounded these two girls with us, which freaked us out a little bit, uh, not as much as it freaked them out, but we said, well, maybe in the future we'll put the two of you between us uh, on on the train station, and of course, they were like gamers. They were like, oh, this is fine. We'll we'll do great, you know, we're out in public, and uh, didn't sleep much, of course. I don't know if you ever slept on concrete or anything like that, but it wasn't wasn't a a great night's sleep, but we got accustomed to doing it a lot of times in Western Europe, but on one day, we actually ended up going into the Czech Republic, which had just, this is in like the early 90s, and so they had just kind of come free from the Soviet uh, Union, and um, they still approached things very similar to the way that uh, the Soviets approached things, especially in public places. I remember we were so tired that in Prague, Czechoslovakia, uh, I was so tired, I laid down on a park bench in this beautiful uh, park that was overlooking the Charles River. And I was laying there and this older woman, she would have been in her 80s or 90s, barely walking around. She took her cane and she started hitting me with it, saying something in Czech. And I was like, what are you talking about? Why are you hitting me? And she just kept doing it until I sat up. Um, I didn't know what that was about, but the next night we had traveled on a train, as was our custom, to show up to a location where we were gonna sleep on the floor and uh, I got to this train station. There were some seats around, but you don't want to see, I mean, you're not going to sit, sit in a seat 
if you can lay down on, on the ground. So I laid down underneath the seats on the ground. And every time the attendant, another older woman, older woman with a stick, would pass by me, she'd hit me with her stick in the chest. And finally, I asked, there was another guy in the train station, and I asked him, what is this up with this? And he spoke English, and he said, oh, it's against the law for you. And people think that you're a vagrant, right? They think that you're homeless. And I'm like, I am homeless. I don't, but you're not allowed. You're not allowed to do that. Well, I had to get used to that, right? You have to get used to that kind of thing. We travel from one country to another country to another country, especially in places like Europe. You realize that as you cross international borders, there are different customs, there are different laws that you know, are, are used in different places. And you can't, you can't just assume that one is gonna be like the other. In one place, you're just gonna sleep the night through in an Austrian train station, but in a, a train station in Czeska Budajovic in, in the Czech Republic, you're not, because someone's gonna hit you. Um, different kingdoms have different rules. Uh, rulers, in fact, when we switch our rulers, especially in the States recently, is every time we have a new president, it's like the first day is a free-for-all of how many different rules we can change regarding what was done by the previous person. I'm going to, and they even promised that, I'm going to undo everything that my last, the last guy did. And then the assumption, of course, is that everybody in the community is going to end up, or in the country is going to end up obeying the new rules and if you obey the new rules, you will be rewarded. And if you disobey the new rules, you will, be, you, you will be reprimanded. And that's how it works in kingdoms, always. Keep the rules, you get rewarded. Don't keep them. You won't be rewarded. In fact, you'll be sent to jail or something to that effect. It's interesting to me that the language of kingdom is actually one of the, the main words that's used to describe what Jesus came to bring. That's on purpose. Uh, Jesus, when he comes, he comes as a new king. And just like a new king in our land or a new president or changing from one country to another, there's a whole set of rules that accompany the coming of the king. And if you obey the rules... You'll be rewarded, and if you don't obey the rules, you'll be reprimanded. That's the way kingdoms are supposed to work. Jesus actually was pretty explicit when he came along, and he announced what he was doing on the earth. The people of Israel, of course, had used that language of kingdom for years, right? The kingdom of David was supposed to be the greatest age of Israel's history, and so they were looking for another golden age with a new king who was going to come along, and he wasn't going to be just like David. He's going to be beyond David. There's going to be a new golden or platinum age, as we might call it, of Israel's history. So Jesus shows up, and the first thing he says in the Gospel of Mark when he begins his ministry is, is this. After John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The kingdom of God is here. You can just imagine me showing up, just got elected, I just took over the land. Okay, everybody, the kingdom is here. And the reason the kingdom's here is because the king is here. The rule and reign of God is among you. Now, that sounds great, especially if you're somebody from Israel. You're like, oh my goodness, it's the, it, we've been waiting for this Messiah, this guy to show up. He's gonna bring... The golden age of Israel back. 
What you expect, of course, when the king comes is that he's immediately going to institute his rules and take a stick out and start hitting the people on the park bench, right? I mean, like, this the first thing he's going to do is he's going to start rewarding people who follow his way, and he's going to reprimand those, those who, who don't. And the, the disciples, as they start following Jesus, they're expecting this, right? And then he starts doing weird stuff, like he's standing there, and he says to the disciples, okay, guys, we're going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to get killed, and after three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And they're all going, I'm sorry, you're going to get what? You're going to get killed because the king doesn't get killed. That's not in the king book. If you go to kings for dummies, it doesn't say, you know, when you first start your reign, just go get killed. Because that ends your kingdom. And so Peter comes up to Jesus and is like, dude, I don't think you understand the Messiah rules of order. And Jesus, remember this story, many of you, he says, hey, get behind me, Satan. You, you don't want the things of God, you want the things of men. But you have to understand from Peter's point of view, he's been like, what kind of king are you? You, you said the kingdom of God is at hand, that you're the Messiah. You're the one who's going to be the king. Every other king shows up, starts their kingdom, rewards those who follow, and punishes those who don't. That's the kingdom rules. And you're going to go get killed? Well, you guys know the story, of course. I mean, Peter gets so into this at one point, he cuts some guy's ear off at the end. He's like, it's on now! And he cuts his ear off. Jesus is like, whoa, slow, you slow your roll there, Pete. <laughs> he grabs the ear and he puts it back on the guy. And Peter, of course, is still going, what are we doing? So he takes off after Jesus arrested. He takes off and he goes fishing. And, you know, some of the stories, Jesus comes back, rises from the dead, right? He dies, he rises from the dead, just like he said. And then in the book of Acts, at the very beginning of Acts, the disciples are like, okay, then. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, then. The whole dying and rising again has taken place. Now's the time, right? Can I go get a sword? Can we just, because everybody's disobeying you and the Lord. This is the time now for the, for the nation to, take, to have its great golden age again. And you expect Jesus at this point going, yeah, okay, that is doubt time. Get your F-16s out. We're going to do it. He said to them, look, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. What? What kind of kingdom is this? So the Bible is really clear. We are in the kingdom. The kingdom of God was begun by Jesus Christ when he arrived, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. Do you feel like you're in the kingdom? Like where the rule and reign of the king is in effect, like when you walk out the doors of the church into the society, you go, Jesus is ruling, and everyone's like, who? Jesus reigns. His, his way is done. This, because in kingdoms, that's what happens. His way is done, and those who do it will be rewarded. You feel like that? You feel as a Christian that in the society as a whole, in the kingdom of God, that the, the rule and reign of Jesus is something both that's real, that you feel, and second, that is actually, you feel rewarded when you follow Christ? Or is it the other way around? If Jesus is king, why are his followers scorned and those who reject them, him rewarded? 
Because that's the world I live in. What kind of kingdom is this? Well, that's what this book, this was Matthew 13 is trying to describe. All right, you guys, we're in the kingdom. We're Christian people, we're in the kingdom. What should you expect as it pertains to this kingdom? How's it going to come? Is it already come? If there's more of it to come, when does it come? And what's going to happen when it does come? And what about in the meantime? Like, what are we, what are we, what are we doing? How should, who do we submit to? The king of heaven or the king of this world? Or I, what? What's the nature of, of, this, of this kingdom? And so today we're actually going to jump kind of right in the middle of Matthew 13. Uh, verses 24 to 30 is a parable. And the way that, of course, the way this works is that Jesus in this passage is like, okay, I'm going to describe my kingdom to all of us, but I'm going to use a bunch of word pictures to do it. And so over the next several weeks, we're just going to look at stories. But the stories are all about the same subject, the kingdom. We're going to take a pass at the kingdom with one story, and then we'll come back and take another pass at the kingdom with another story and take another pass. And then at the end, hopefully, we'll have a, you know, a big pile of kingdom stories that describe what the kingdom of God looks like in this world and how it is that you and I ought to live in that kingdom, awaiting it in its reality, all of that kind of stuff. I'm actually really excited about this. This is a lot of fun. Um, here's what I want to do today. I actually want to just read this parable to you. I want, I want to actually uh, just walk through the parable. And then what's cool about this parable, parable of the weeds is that he explains the parable afterwards. So we're going to first talk about the parable, and then we're going to talk about his explanation of the parable. So this doesn't require a lot of work on Jeff's part. Jesus like, was like, yeah, I'll just interpret for you, Jeff. I'm like, sweet. I'm great. I'm just going to show up on Saturday and do whatever I want then. And then finally, I do want to talk about some of the points of the parable, all right? So what exactly is he trying to get at at the end here, all right? All right, you're excited. Well, maybe not. All right, here we go. The parable. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. He, he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Uh, you know, a lot of people, the, a parable is basically a story about uh, how God, it's a story from real life. It's a story uh, from the experiences of the people who are listening that try to basically teach something about God and his, and his world. A lot of people think, oh, see, Jesus told stories, and that's why we should sell stories, so that we can communicate better. Actually, if you read more into parables, the reason Jesus tells parables, as you'll see in Matthew, is sometimes it's to reveal to some and to hide to others. Now, that's, that's a subject for another day. We'll get into it, but the parable telling of Jesus is partly to reveal and partly to, to hide. That's why he doesn't just come out and say, well, this is what the kingdom is. He uses imagery to, to do this. And so this, this image, this parable is about a guy, a farmer, who's sowing good, good seed in his field, right? Just a typical everyday, everyday farmer. Now look, uh, you'll notice that when I read from Mark earlier, it said the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew calls the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven, and there's some debate about why that is, but it's most likely because when, when Matthew is writing, he's writing to a Jewish population, and if you know anything about the Jewish population, they don't like using the word Yahweh, God. <laughs> they would, they'll, they'll, they'll replace it with other, other words. In this case, Matthew's like, oh, I'm going to honor that. I'm going to call it the kingdom of heaven, 
But it's the same thing. There's not a thing called the kingdom of heaven and a thing called the kingdom of God, and they're different. They're not. Depending on the gospel writer, a kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God, is the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. And so Matthew's basically saying, look, the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God that Mark is talking about and Luke is talking about, and that's the people of Israel are expecting, we can call it the kingdom of heaven as well, it can be compared to this farmer who's sowing good seed in his, in his field. So if you're picturing in your mind a farmer, I know it's, for us you get a big, you know, you, you get a big tractor and you drive it down the middle. Of, but for them, there was a pathway that a farmer <clears throat> would walk down in the middle of the field and he'd have a little, a little bag over his shoulder and he'd reach in and he'd throw the seed all, all, over, the, all over the field. That's what he's doing. His picture is a farmer going out. He's got good seed. It's not bad. I mean, he, it's like, the, you know, he bought it from the, the trustworthy guy. There's no mixture of bad seed and good seed inside of his little satchel there. It's all good seed. He's going to throw it out. He's going to throw it out there. But while his men were sleeping, these are probably the guys who were supposed to stay up at night to guard the field. Right, because you never, you never know in those days. You leave the field open in the evenings. Uh, you know, somebody might come along and they might steal the seed. They might steal the wheat. They might, you, you might have animals who show up and try to eat it. And so it was pretty common for you to have a, have a guardian or so. If it was a vineyard, it would add a tower in it, right? Because the vines rise up and you need to be able to look down between them to see whether or not Joe, your neighbors, come along and wanted to have a little grape juice. So these guys, you know, it was late, late at night, and under the cloak of darkness, along comes his enemy. And he came and he sowed weeds among the wheat, and he went away. Now look, uh, this is more common than you'd think, not in our day, but theirs. But one of the ways that you would get revenge on a person is that you actually would, uh, you actually would go after their, their wheat, one of the ways that you would do that is that you, you, you would um, take this seed called darnel. Uh, darnel was a seed that when, when, it, when it started to grow, it looked exactly like wheat at the early stages. Like if you went to a field and you, and you looked at the darnel growing and you looked at the wheat growing early stages, there's no difference at all. So the darnel starts to grow up and the wheat starts to grow up and eventually, of course, the, the, as they start to blossom, right, and the seeds start to come out, you, you see the difference. You see the difference. But by then, it's too late. And the reason it's too late is because Darnell is poisonous. And by poison, I mean to you and to me. If you go and you go make, if you make a, you know, loaf of bread from grain that was harvested out of a field with both wheat and Darnell in it, you will die. They used, they used to say somebody who had gotten a piece of Darnell in them, they, they would, it was called drunken Darnell which is also the name of some of our friends. But dr drunken Darnell, meaning that you would vomit, you would go into some massive malaise, it would sometimes, it would sometimes kill you. It was a very bad thing. So if you found Darnell in your field, uh, usually they would just wipe it all away. They'd just say, you know what, this is a lost cause, we're just gonna get rid of it all. It, it, it was very common. So here in this case, you've got an enemy who's come along and he's sown the seed. This whole story reminds me of a, something that happened to a friend of mine. My friend, uh, he had these trees behind his property, uh, that beautiful view, British Columbia, beautiful view out on the valley. He had these trees behind his property and he had a neighbor. 
lots of neighbors, but this one particular neighbor on his side, um, when his neighbor was on his porch, his neighbor was on his own porch, he would look out and these trees would block his view. Now, it wouldn't block the view of my friend because they were a little bit up the hill, but they were his trees, right? And so one day, the neighbor came over and said, okay, can you cut the trees down? And he's like, mm, no. <laughs> no, I mean, we've lived here for years. You just arrived and now you want us to cut down the trees. Look, they've been for, there for a long time. They're quite beautiful. They add something to the property. He says, yeah, but when I look out at my view, I don't get the whole view because there are some trees there. Uh, I, I don't know what to tell you. We're not, I mean, we're not gonna cut the trees down. All right, fine. So the guy goes away. And then a few months later, all of a sudden, my, my friend is looking out the back and he sees that these trees are starting to like die. And he's like, what in the world happened there? Well, he went out in the back and he found out that, that somebody, somebody had gone and they had drilled a hole in the trees and they put diesel gasoline in it. And it, it, was, killing, it was killing the trees. Apparently, you can find out how to do this on YouTube. So there you go. If you have some neighbors you don't like. So this neighbor, he found, he found out that actually it wasn't the neighbor who did it, but the neighbor's friend who did it, because the neighbor was talking to his friend and said, I hate these trees, and I wish somebody would do something about it. And his friend was like, <laughs> and he came in the middle of the night, drilled holes, put diesel gasoline, and now he killed all the trees. Enemy. Right, that, yes, right. It was probably for revenge in this case. Usually this is what happened. Neighbor gets good and mad because of a, you know, some fight over what happened in the past, or maybe you know your kid got in a fight with the other kid, or something like that. But in this case, what you've got is an enemy neighbor who says, "I am mad at you, and I am going to ruin your crop." And so, the uh, cover of darkness, either he or his men come out and they throw, just like the farmer did, they throw Darnell out into the field, and then they went away. Now, every, there's a gap here, guys. Of time. Everybody thinks everything's cool. The neighbor and the farmer are probably hanging out at the pub. Thinking everything's cool. But when the plants came up. And they bore grain. Which is the only time that you can tell where these things are different. The weeds appeared. That same day. Oops, sorry, that's not, that's not what I want. The servants of the master of the house then came and said to him, uh, Master, uh, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then it does it have weeds? In Houston, we have a problem. Uh, uh, boss, we were out in the fields and we noticed everything was the way, you know, the way it was supposed to be. And then we kind of came upon a section and realized, oh my goodness, there's a whole bunch of Darnell there. And so this is not, you, you clearly, you had the good seed, right? When you were throwing it out there, everything was fine. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know how it got there. Wink, wink. He said to them, the farmer said to them, an enemy has done this. Joe, my neighbor, has done this. So the servant said to him, uh, so, so you want us to go and gather them? Meaning, do you want us to go and go and find all of the different weeds and just pull them up? we we'll just pull them up right now, okay? Now, the problem is, of course, the, 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 the weeds 
had wrapped their uh, tentacles, their roots around the wheat at this point. This is the problem, the problems with Darnell. And so if you pull it up, there's a good chance that you're gonna pull up the weeds with it. But they're, so they're saying, look, look, we'll try to save as much as we can, but there's, good li- there's a likelihood it's not gonna work very well, so we're just gonna go and grab them. But he said, no, 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 less than gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So one of them is gonna be burned and one is gonna be brought into the barn. But in the meantime, between this moment and that moment, the harvest, the fields are gonna look Like they're both together. Sometimes it's gonna be hard to tell the difference between the two. But there will be a time where we separate it all. It's just not, it's, it's just not yet. Right, well, that's the parable. Um, a few verses later, the disciples are walking back into a house. Jesus has given this long speech. And they're walking back into the house and he left the crowds and went into this house And his disciples came to him and said, what are you talking about? Um, Can you explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field? Now, he had already explained another parable in the beginning of Matthew 13, as we'll see. He's already spent some time explaining another parable. And so it's sort of, okay, since you're in the mood, Jesus, to explain these parables to us, can you let us us know what's going on? Like in in privacy, we don't want to bring it up out there, you know, because we want to look like we we were on, you know, we were in the in-group, but we're not. So can you just... Let us know what's going on here. Explain it to us. And he said, all right. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. It's an important word. So we're gonna identify what each part of the parable means, okay? And the first thing he says is the person, the one who's, you know, the farmer who's reaching in and he's sowing the seed, that's, it's called the son of man. It's a really important phrase because if you go back to the book of Daniel, there's a promise made. And the book of Daniel's promise is essentially that this person called the son of man, in Daniel chapter seven, verse 13, this person called the son of man has a certain job and a certain relation to God himself. Here's what Daniel seven thirteen says. Uh, Daniel sees a vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a, there it is, son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, to the Almighty God, and he was presented before him. And to him, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So there is this character who is going to come, called the Son of Man, that God himself is going to anoint as the king of all. So the people of Israel are waiting for this guy to come, and Jesus in Matthew's gospel comes along, and this language he uses over and over again. The son of man, the son of man, the son of man. And he's referring to himself. He's saying, you guys remember that story about the guy who went to the ancient of days and got all the authority to have a kingdom that was gonna last forever? Yeah, right here. I'm, I'm that guy. So the parable is about 
Jesus. Explained the parable of the weeds of the field, and he said, look, the one who sows good seeds is the son of man. I'm, 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 I'm the guy who was promised. The field is the world. A lot of people, when they interpret this parable, always want to just apply it to the church. It certainly has application to the church, you know? But it, it, it's, about, it's about the world. The world in which you inhabit, both in here and out there. What's supposed to happen in the kingdom of the Son of Man while we await his final coming? The good seed is the sons of the kingdom, right? You know, people who are believing the gospel of Jesus. Uh, the imagery of a king here is, really, is kind of interesting. I think I've shared this image with you before, but it's, it's a pretty common one in the ancient world. The way that a king, when he would come and take over a place, is that he would come to a walled city. Almost all the cities were walled to protect them. He'd come to a walled city, and then he would surround the walled city with his army, and he would send in a, 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 an emissary. He'd send in an announcer, and that person would go through the front gate. The other people, the people inside the city wouldn't kill him because they know that by killing him, they're going to get slaughtered. But he would go in and he would declare, the king's outside, we got you surrounded. Before we crush this whole place, we want to give you an opportunity for reprieve. If there is anyone here who would bow their knee to the coming king, he will receive amnesty. He will receive reprieve and forgiveness and be welcomed into the king's realm. This is a one-time deal, guys. So think quickly, get together with your families, have a little family meeting over dinner. I'll be out here for a little bit. And then you can decide what you want to do. Well, some people are going to respond to that. <laughs> They're going to be like, yeah, okay. Like, I'm clearly on the wrong side of things here. This king is benevolent enough to have come along and to offer me reprieve before there is a judgment upon me and all those who oppose him. So, look, I'm going to bow the knee. And if you do that, you are a son of the kingdom. You're a child of the king. You define your life now, not by the kingdom that you were part of, but now the king who has come in his rules, right? So Jesus said, I'm the son of man. I come into the world and I, and I sow seed into the world. And that seed sprouts, grows, and becomes sons of the kingdom. These are people who have received the amnesty, have received the forgiveness I offer, the, the, the peace, the joy of my kingdom. They're followers of me. But there are weeds. And the weeds are, this is the language again, sons of the evil one. There, there is an evil one who is actively working to ruin my kingdom. I come along and I sow this stuff, but there's another who's been sowing as well. And his plants are poisonous, and they are coming up with the others. The enemy, in fact, who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest, which is coming, is the, the end of the age. Guys, this is a really interesting and important phrase, and I just want to draw... A picture for you real quick, and then we'll get right back into that. 
Uh, this is a picture I've drawn before you've been at church here before. I, it's a really important picture to try to explain to you the world in which we live from a theological point of view, okay? So uh, we have the kingdom. We have the kingdom of God, okay? That was star God or heaven. Just put an H there. And the kingdom of God was what we call inaugurated at when Jesus came, right? Jesus came and he inaugurated this kingdom and he began began this kingdom that is going to last forever, right? The son of man will have this kingdom that will go for on and on and on and on. But when he starts his kingdom, the expectation that we had, that everybody had was, well, he's gonna start the kingdom and this is what it's gonna look like. The old kingdom's gonna end right there. But the problem is, that's not what God chose to do. You have the, the, the kingdom of this age, kingdom, or kingdom of men, or kingdom of this age. And, but it will reach a conclusion. It's coming to an end right there. The problem that you and I have is that we live here. Yes? And this parable is trying to basically say, is, look, Jesus has come, he's, in this, he's, he, he's inaugurated his kingdom, he's begun the kingdom, and, and this kingdom will go on forever, but between now and the harvest, the point at which Jesus will return and he will bring all things to consummation, to their completion, there exists this time where there's a mixture between those who are children of the kingdom and those who are children of children of the king Jesus and those who are children of the devil and they cohabit in this world together this has huge implications in the way that we should understand our world which I'll get into in one minute but this is the image that he's playing with The weeds are the son of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, remember at that point, there will be a point where, you know, the harvest comes, and they will be burned with fire. So will it be at the end of the age. Notice the language, right? The ages that I was just referring to. The son of man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And he will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The reason they're going to shine like the sun and that's different is because in the present time they're mixed together with the weeds. And it's hard to tell the difference sometimes. But in the kingdom in its full consummation there will be no lack of clarity regarding who's there. Shine forth like suns. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right, so okay, what, what do we do with all that? That was all introduction. <laughs> Scared the living daylights. What? That's ridiculous. So let me just, let, because let me just give you some, I, I just want to give you uh, three points that this parable is trying to make, okay? Here we go. Number one, Satan is actively trying to ruin the kingdom of God and the people in it. Satan is actively trying to ruin the kingdom of God and the people in it. You just saw that central to the parable is the enemy's, the, sorry, the enemy farmer's wicked activity. He wants to ruin 
All of it. So God has an enemy in this world. We have an enemy as children of God in this world. And listen very closely to me that as you read through the rest of the New Testament and into the Old as well, you will find that this enemy's chosen arsenal is lying. That's his gun. He wields it and shoots lies at you and me and the world. And that's, that's, that's the game. I know that because at the very, very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, right? God makes this beautiful world. They're naked and unashamed. And then the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Genesis 3 verse 1. That the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, uh, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Guys, this is a lie. God didn't say, God, God said, look, there's one tree over there that I don't want you to eat from. And he comes along and said, dude, didn't he just say that you can't eat of any of them? <laughs> That's a lie. It's a little twist, but a huge twist, yeah? And the woman said, well, we can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God did say, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that was in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. Okay, you're buying into the lie, lady. The Lord never said that you couldn't touch it. He said, don't eat, don't eat of that one tree. You read for everything else, but just this one tree you can't eat from. The servant's like, oh, that's really mean of him. You know what I mean? That's, a, that's the nicest tree. It's the prettiest tree. But the servant said to the woman, <laughs> you won't surely die. On uh, Twitter the other day, somebody was asking a question. What's the greatest lie ever told? There it is. <laughs> there it is. You, you won't surely die. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. so we got a little tiny lie that's huge. And now we got just a straight out <laughs> lie. No, you're going to die, he promised, for God knows. Oh, but see, here's the reason. God knows that if you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He's trying to hold things back from you because he's mean and nasty. So everything he says is a lie intended to get you to think about God in a way that he is not. And that, that's Satan. That's his work, whispering all the time. Do you know, God doesn't really like you. You, you, think, you think you belong here? Do you? There's people all the, the only reason that they're sitting next to you is because they don't look truth about you. You know that, right? I mean, if they knew the truth about who you are, they'd run away. You know that. You know that. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Look, it's not the only place. Look, I, I can, John 8 uh, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, there's a bunch of people who said, no, Jesus is great. We love him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So these are people who believe in, it, believe in him. And they, he says, look, uh, here's the thing. You, you have to continue, that's what the word means, in my word. You have to have an acceptance and openness to my commands for you in your life. And that's the way you're going to prove that you're truly my disciples, which of course leads to you to believe, hmm, maybe these people who believe, just believe, don't actually really believe. 
and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. This launches them into a big fight. Now these Jews who believe in Jesus, a little later in the passage, here's what he says about them. Why don't you understand what I say? It's because you can't bear to hear my words. See, you're proving by your response to what I'm saying that you're not truly my disciples because you're not abiding in my word. You can't stand to hear my word. Which means that you are of your father, the devil. That probably went over real well. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's, that's his gun, man. That's his gun. And I've, I've heard his lies a lot. You know what I hear? You know, Jeff, you're, 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 you're pretty worthless. I mean, I, I imagine God regrets that you're on his team, you know? And if you could make a trade, he probably would. I mean, you're certainly not good enough. They, they don't actually know how bad you are. It's a good thing you're covering it up with all that cool clothing you wear. And all. I mean, it's, 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 a really, it's really good that you're good at talking because if you weren't good at talking because then they'd actually probably see the reality. And so you better be good at talking and make sure you are because you're not good enough to be doing this. And I'll out you soon, Jeff. I'll out you. you think that God's going to come and he's going to help you in that moment? He's left you. Isn't that clear? He's left you. Look at your life, man. All the things that you ask God for don't come true. I mean, he's just, he's just up there playing a game with you. If I were you, I'd just give it up. I'd just pack it in, man. It's not going to get any better. You probably should never have been made. Doesn't that sound familiar to you? Have you ever heard... Ever heard any, any of that? Yours might be different. Look, he, he, he's a good liar. He lies about everything. The problem, of course, as Christians is that we believe them. And we don't, we don't, we don't fight back. We don't say to ourselves, that's a, that's a lie. If Satan is actively involved in sowing deception in the world, right, and actively trying to ruin God's kingdom and the people who are in it, and he's doing it through lies. And you and I got to get a lot better at truth-telling, don't we? And I don't mean just truth-telling to everybody else. Yes, but truth-telling to you and me, to myself. We've got, we've got to start arming ourselves a little bit better with some truth. So that the lies, when they, when they hit, right? Those fiery darts that Satan throws, they will hit a shield of faith. Yes? Because he, here's, the tr here's the truth. Jeff, you're worthless and God regrets you. No, no, I, I'm made in the image of God. I was knit together in my mother's womb. I am beautifully made. The God of creation, of eternity, knows my name and he sings over me with gladness. 
that if I walk into a room and he saw me, he'd stop the conversation, beam on his face, come over to me and say, Jeff. You're not good enough, Jeff. Yeah, but Moses wasn't either, was he? And neither was Gideon, and neither was Rahab, and neither was Paul, and neither was anybody else who's listed in that book. They're all a bunch of failures, but the crazy thing is that it's the failure that, it's the failure that grants them access. It's, it's, it's the failure that qualifies them in this weird way. It's the failure that qualifies them to actually be doing the things that, that, that they're doing. God's, God's left you, Jeff. He never, he never leaves. He, ne- he never forsakes. And I know that things look horrible, but you know, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. And in eternity, it'll be proven that everything he did was right and every choice that he made was right. And even though I don't know right now, I'm not gonna put myself in a position where I somehow sit over God and judge him for his compassion or his wisdom. He is God, I am man. But I know that all things will work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his person. See, I'm predestined. I have been called, I'm justified, and I'm glorified. And there's no one that's going to separate me from the love of Christ. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come. I am an overcomer in in Christ. See, here's, here's the thing. You come to church so I can tell you this. This is like a massive like vehicle realignment moment. That's why you come to church, I hope, is so that when you drive your little bum in here, I can say to you, you're being lied to all the time. You are who he says you are. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because that's where you are. Be who you are. My, my, my son, God bless him, he, he, his girlfriend for my son's birthday, or I don't know, sent him a whole packet of, of like three by five cards that were designed beautifully, and on each one has these different scripture verses, and she called them ammunition. And I was like, oh yeah. He has them in his car. And before he gets out of the car, sometimes he's flipping through those things and they tell him who he is in Christ. They tell him where he's going. They tell him what the world is like. You gotta, you gotta be armed better than you are. You gotta get yourself in positions and places where it is that people are gonna tell you the truth to you about this world, about where you're going, about where you've been and what that means and how this whole thing functions. Why would you skip out on coming to a place like that you guys are gonna have to listen a lot quicker than what you're doing. I got two more of these, for goodness sake. All right, here we go, all right. Number, number two, it's, it can be hard to distinguish between true believers and unbelievers, right? Is that the whole kind of idea here? There's the wheat and the weeds, and you don't know what they look like at the very, at the very get-go. That was the plan of the enemy, and that means that there's a couple of implications to that. Number one, right, if this is the way our world functions, you should expect Danger from even seemingly nice people. That, that underneath the surface for all of us, had we not been redeemed, is actually selfishness. And our desires are for ourselves. This is a scene in Dumb and Dumber, the greatest movie ever in Maine. 
where Lloyd is getting his some food or we're supposed to go out and get something and he decides instead to get a cowboy hat and some like pinwheels and he, he asks, he needs to get some change and he asks this old lady on a motorized cart to hold his stuff. And then when he comes back, she's gone and he breaks into the room at the end and he says, I got, I got, I, I got robbed by an old lady on a motorized cart and I didn't even see it coming. That line, that idea that I didn't even see it coming. It's just like most of us Christians are like, what happened? I thought the world was nice. What? Weed and weeds, weed and weeds, weed and weeds. It's not harvest hadn't happened yet, man. Stop being so stinking naive about the world in which we inhabit. People are lying. They will lie to you. They will continue to lie to you. So just recognize that that's probably going to be something that takes place. But it also means that you should expect that to be in the church too. Like if you were Satan and you were really going to try to dupe everybody, wouldn't you start sowing some of that in the place where you least expect it? Right near the farmer's house? Wouldn't you be like, oh, he'll never see this coming. And just throw a bunch of them in there. And guys, this is the way the Bible talks. That yes, those people, those people are, are there. Uh, Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who, look, does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There are people who have a place for his word. Who abide in his word. It's not people who just say, I'm a Christian. It's somebody who says, I'm a Christian and I mean it. That I actually believe in the Lord Jesus to the degree that I'm willing to submit to his lordship. And so... Who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. See, on that day, on that, what day? That harvest day. Many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we, pro look what they did. Prophesy, cast out demons, do mighty, mighty works. These are like the best of us. Didn't I do that all in your name? And then I'm going to say to them, yeah, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of what? You workers of lawlessness. Look, your words are cheap. Your words are cheap. He goes on in the next passage. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, because that's what we're talking about. Somebody who hears the words, yes, and does them will be like some, a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rain fell, floods came, winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, floods came, winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Guys, if you walked by these before the rain and floods and wind, they look like the same house. But the rain and floods and wind reveal the foundation. It is possible, in other words, for you to spend your whole life proclaiming faith in Jesus and denying him by your actions, and you are not real. You're not the real thing. My fear is that you're going to stand before God one day, and he's, you're going to be, Lord, Lord, look at all the stuff, mission trips and prayer and giving. Oh, I went to church all the time, and he's going to be like, I don't know you. There has to be some measure of match between what you say and what you do. Not 
perfectly. Listen, not perfect. We're not perfect people by any means. But there should be fruit of the Spirit in the lives of those who say they have the Spirit. So, 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 do you, do you, do you? I can't ask you any more pointed, clear question than this. Do you, do you have, do you have that? Or you just a weed, right? Look, last, last one. Um, do not mistake God's patience as God's permission. Do not mistake God's patience for God's permission. This whole passage is basically saying, hey, look, don't, just because the farmer chose to delay the separation of the wheat and weeds didn't mean that they wouldn't be separated, did they? I watch a lot of soccer. One of the things that happens in a lot of soccer games is that the referee, somebody, somebody commits some horrible foul in the middle of the field, but the ball keeps rolling in favor of the team that was fouled against. So the referee does this. It means play on. So they keep playing on. The guy who just committed this dastardly deed, you know, deed trying to, you know, destroy the guy's leg or something like that, he starts playing and he's thinking, man, I escaped it, you know? And they keep playing, but when the whistle goes for the dead ball to go dead, almost always the referee who called continue play goes back to the point of the foul, pulls out his card and says, Abamo. I fear that there are so many people in our world who are active, active, uh, who are dastardly, who are acting in ways that are alien to and against the kingdom of God and thinking, oh, I'm just going to get away with it because, hey, look, the lightning didn't strike from heaven and here I am. But this passage is essentially saying, yeah, the fact that it didn't strike doesn't mean it won't strike, man. The fact that he hasn't separated out and done the harvest yet doesn't mean the harvest is not going to happen, man. It, it will come. Don't you realize, don't you realize that the reason that God is being patient is for your repentance, He's giving you this amazing moment right now of reprieve. He's standing. He sent his emissary. Hello. And he's standing in the kingdom that God is going to destroy and bring his benevolent rule to. And his emissary, hello, is saying to you, there is a moment, an offer of reprieve. Now, right now. Gather with your family, sit down and think for yourself, which side do I want to be on? Do I want to be on the liar's team who is destroying me, or do I want to be with the benevolent king who's offering me reprieve in this moment? And I am telling you, there's no choice here. There's no choice here. The king is coming. He's at the gates. The king is coming. The king is coming. Kneel before your gracious king. It's not hard to do this, brothers and sisters. It's not hard to do this. All that's required is for you to receive the offer of amnesty. That's it, Lord. I take it. I take it. I kneel. And I am going to follow you the rest of my life here on earth so that I can spend the rest of eternity with you and the joy that you offer. So if you're a Christian... 
hold on, brothers and sisters. The king is coming, like Gandalf at the end of the movie, where the helm's deep, and they're like, we're going to lose. And all of a sudden, the light on the first day shines, and they hear at the top of the mountain that there's somebody there, and the shining white knight comes down, and he just lays waste to all the wickedness. The king is coming, and he will return and make all things all things right. All the pain and heartache, all of it will be, make sense and will be worth it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We are one day closer to his return. If you're not a Christian, we're one day closer to his return. How long do you want to keep pushing him off? He's already won. He, he, the king... He's already initiated the kingdom. He's coming to finish it. But you have a moment. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word and for the parable of the kingdom and how uh, uh, you know, aggressive they are at points. And I just I ask, Lord, that you would bless us with insight, You'd help us as brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage one another against the lies of the enemy that you, Father, would. Ultimately, though, you'd help us to hold on and that you would help us to turn so that we could partake of what you so wonderfully offer. What a gracious king you are. We, we, we deserve judgment, and yet you, 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 you hesitate in the judgment so that you can offer grace. Would you find us willing to take that grace? Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information as well as how to get connected in a community at one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. We want to invite you back next week for another episode of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.